You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. so good. Continue to keep Pastor in your prayers. He's, uh, he's traveled to Indiana for, uh, for General Conference, and he's arrived early for uh, superintendent meetings there, so pray for him. I would have his hand uh, upon him, bring him back safely to us. Amen. In his absence, um, he's asked me to preach and so that's what I intend to do here tonight. And um, I must start off by telling you that the message for this evening was brought about by a conversation that I had with my daughter. She has a journal, and one day she came and brought her journal out to me, and she said, I, I keep trying to be like mummy, but then I'm not. And she opened up her journal to me, and it was open to a page filled with X's, and she said, these are all the times I tried to be like her, and I wasn't. When will I be like mommy? We teach our kids over and over to not be a follower, to be a leader. If other kids are doing things that you know is wrong, don't follow them. You lead by example, and you do what is right. We are always saying, be a leader. You can't be a leader without first being a follower. My kids, they're watching everything that I am doing. They're listening to everything that I am saying. Even when I don't think that they're listening, people say, my goodness, Sadie looks so much like her mom. Levi looks so much like his dad. Or they will say, it's not hard to tell whose kids they are. And while this may be true, the most important thing I realize about them is that they are following us. Pastor has been teaching a series called A Love That Lasts, and in this series, he has been teaching the course that he developed about training our kids to respect and love God, respect and love themselves, and respect and love others. We've been learning about little ears listening to us and little eyes watching us, and as I talked with Sadie about her desire to be like mom, I told her that it was a wonderful ambition of hers, but our ultimate goal for her and Levi was to follow us as we follow Christ. I want my kids to see me praying. I want my kids to see me in the Word of God. I want my kids to see me going to church, and not just going to church, but participating in church, participating in worship. Right now, I am leading them to Christ. And no, I don't do everything perfectly. I don't always lead them the best way possible. I don't always teach them the best things. Just to give you an example of this, I was reminded of it just the other day. got a text from my wife uh, saying, you need to stop telling our kids such crazy things. Levi has been fighting with me that what comes after triple is dribble, because that's what you told him. I completely forgot. I See, I get caught up in these things, and I just tell my kids just some crazy answers that time, and I forget to go back and clean up the mess that I've made, and that one kind of slipped past me. I sometimes forget to slow down my pace when I have little feet following me, but oh, how I want them to see Christ through me. 
Let me take you to a story in your Bible that is found in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's a story about a man named Elisha. He was out on the field minding his own business, working, when the man of God came up and threw his cloak over his shoulders. It was a proposition. It was an invitation. The field worker asked if he may say his goodbyes, but he does more than that. The Bible tells us in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 21, as we can see here right now, that Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. The story of Elijah and Elisha may be the most obvious mentorship story in the Bible. We can learn so much about both the role of the follower and the leader. And in his first encounter with Elijah, Elisha is willing to let go of his occupation, his family, his life he had built thus far in order to follow after man offering to teach him. So he killed his oxen. He destroyed the yoke, giving the proceeds to his neighborhood. Elisha was destined for a double portion, but if he had never first offered himself as a servant to Elijah, he would have remained as he was and never performed the amazing miracles that blessed the lives of so many others. At this time, an interesting test was set before Elisha. It was common knowledge among the prophets of the age that Elijah's time had come. Elijah three times told him to stay behind, but each time his assistant refused to leave his side. Others were watching from a distance, but Elisha wanted a close-up and personal view of what God was about to do in this man of God's life. Those watching from a distance were not left with the double portion. Only the one who had persevered, only the one who had followed. And so tonight, just for a few moments, I want to speak on this topic, follow me. And if you'll pray with me one more time, we're going to ask God to have his way with the rest of the service. God, we're so thankful for everything that you've already done. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for this Mission Sunday, how we take time. God, we take time to thank you for all the wonderful things that you've done and you are doing in our city and around the world. God, we pray right now that you would touch each and every life that's in this place. All those that are watching and listening online, help us to follow after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. At their first encounter, Elijah, he placed his cloak on Elisha's shoulders. But it wasn't the time for him to take up the mantle of the prophet yet. It was only after his student had proven himself faithful as a follower that Elijah left him his cloak as a symbol that it was now time for the younger man to fulfill the plans that God had for him. And after he mourned, he picked up the cloak that Elijah had left for him, and he began to lead a nation towards God. This story I tell you tonight is a foretaste of Christ, who later would come and invite a group of fishermen who were also busy about their work to come and follow him. It was a foreshadow of this. And tonight we see Jesus calling the first disciples as they were fishing. This episode is pretty familiar to us, but I want us to just focus on it for a bit here tonight. Matthew chapter 4, it tells us of this story. Verse 18 says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother, Andrew. 
They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately, everybody say immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Come, follow me. The Lord approached these men with the invitation to become his disciples, to follow after Christ. Now, I don't know how you would react tonight if someone just came up to you during the middle of the service and said, come follow me. Drop everything and come with me. But we do know the response of these men. The response to the invitation was immediate. They didn't wait for anything. In one of the early Gospels, we find that when Christ invited these men to follow him, they did so immediately. They did not say, you know what, Jesus, I... I need time to think about this. I should probably go home, do an analysis, see what this is going to affect in my life. You know, my mom and dad were kind of hoping that I take over the fishing business someday, and I've already invested in the pension plan here. So, no, they just left. When they heard the invitation from the Lord, there was no discussion. They simply went. What would move them to just up and leave like that? Why would they take him up on that invitation? There was something about this Jesus of Nazareth. He would say things like, you have heard this, but I tell you this. And no, he didn't never contradict any early teaching. He either clarified it or made it even tougher. He would say things like, you have heard not to commit adultery, but I tell you that even thinking about it is committing the sin. He would say things like, you've heard that you should not murder, but I tell you that even being contemptuous of your brother brings the same judgment as murder. People had the reaction we find at the end of the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. These fishermen didn't leave their lives and livelihoods behind just to hang out with Christ because he was the coolest rabbi in the area. They left because not only did Jesus have authority, they followed him because his authority was rooted in who he was, the living word of God. These early disciples, they were convinced that this is the Messiah, and they wanted to be in his company. Lord, wherever, you'll, wherever you're going, I'm going to be there with you. Whatever you're doing, I want to do it with you. They dropped their fishing nets, they dropped their livelihoods, and they followed after Christ. Christ, he didn't just say, follow me. He said something else. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The Lord called them and he transformed them. He helped the disciples become people who saw others from an eternal perspective. Their lives were transformed. Follow me and I'll transform you. Follow me and I'll make you into something that you weren't before. And that's exactly what Christ does in our life. He had a purpose in mind from the beginning and that purpose was to work in their lives so that he could work through them. 
Think about it for a minute. None of these disciples the Lord called were professional clergy types. He didn't sift through the local Bible colleges to find them. Most of them were generally small businessmen, blue-collar types. But after three years with Jesus, they became men who would turn the world upside down and would give their lives for the truth. To look at them before Christ called them, you may have never guessed what he had in mind when he approached the shore that day and called out to them, follow me. But being with the Lord, listening to his teachings, it transformed them. We have an example of this in Acts chapter 4. Jesus has already ascended back up in heaven, and now his disciples, they're at the forefront of turning the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here they are in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John had, they just had the audacity to heal a crippled man. And now they were in big trouble. Not because they healed him, but because of what they said when they did it. They said, sir, we don't have any money to give you, but what we do have, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that's exactly what happened. He does. And the religious leaders of the day thought that they had finally gotten rid of this Jesus. And now here were two guys using his name to heal people. And so they had them arrested by the temple guards, and we pick it up in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note, listen to this, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Let me say it again. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. What an incredible statement that could be made about these men they had been with Jesus. It wasn't hard to tell to the outside world that they had rubbed shoulders with the Lord. They were becoming like Christ. We have a word for becoming like Christ. It's called discipleship. And a disciple of Christ lets the relationship with Him impact every area of their life. You know, babies are cute, but if babies stay babies, that's tragic. They're not intended to stay like that. I tell my kids all the time, I push down on the top of their heads. Not hard, but I push down on the top of their heads and I say, you're growing, I've got to shrink you. You keep on growing. God wants us to mature and develop and that's what we do in our Christian walk with God. But growth is a process. Just like it takes years for a baby to grow to adulthood, discipleship is a lifelong process. You and I are to become more like Christ every day. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people grow older but never grow up. By a show of hands, how many know somebody that fits that description? No, 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 I'm just teasing. Don't actually show me your hands. I'm not going to look. None of us can come to Christ and then remain the same. When you truly encounter the Almighty God, there is something within you that transforms. Your life becomes entirely different. When you are... We become more and more like Him. That's part of discipleship. Growing up into spiritual maturity. God, He takes an active role in helping us to grow spiritually. He doesn't, our Heavenly Father, He has not just abandoned His children to grow up on their own. He uses His Word, the bread of life, to feed us each and every day so that we do grow in Him. 
the more of the Bible that you know, the more that you study it, the more that you memorize it, the more that you meditate upon it and apply it to your life, the more that you begin to act like Him. God will also use people to help us grow. Yes, you heard me right, people. Getting together with the family of God, just like we are doing here tonight, is crucial to our growth. You see, we lean on each other. We pray for each other. We are called to show the love of God, just like Brother Thornton spoke on here this morning, to each other. And as we do this, we are learning more about ourselves and more about how God wants us to interact with the world that he's built for us. We learn more and more about ourselves from each other. My wife and I were watching a comedian on YouTube a few weeks ago, and he was saying that there's a lot of things that he has learned about himself since becoming married. He said him and his wife were walking past a food court, and he told his wife, I'm hungry, and he said, my wife quickly replied, no, you're not. And he said, I'm so thankful I have my wife. Because I would have been sitting in the food court right then eating when I'm not even hungry like an idiot. (laughs) We learn more and more about ourselves as we hang around with other people. God can also use trouble, temptation, and trespasses to help us become more like Him. But unfortunately, when God uses these tools, growth is not an automatic Trouble, temptation, and trespasses will either make us bitter or better. And these things will either separate us from God or draw us to Him. They will reveal either a heart still bound to sin or a heart that is being made to beat after the same beat as the Lord's. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it tells us, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to his purpose. The Bible doesn't say that God will only use some things or even most things. The Bible tells us that God will use all things. And so tonight I'm here to tell you that God can use trouble to teach us to trust him. God wants to use the pain of our problems to draw us closer to him. The Bible sometimes calls it suffering or trials. God does not use troubles to hurt us. Trials are designed to help us. We all like it when things are going great in our life, when things are going along smoothly. And maybe tonight you've passed by somebody on the side of the road like I did on my way into church, and you noticed that they had a flat tire, and the gentleman was standing there with his hands in his pocket keeping them warm while the woman was sitting down on the ground changing the tire. It doesn't require a lot of faith or character when life is smooth sailing on peaceful seas. But when your husband is making you change a tire on the side of the highway, things become a little, no, I'm just teasing. But things can get tough at times. Things get difficult. When blue skies turn gray and the waves begin to crash all around us, Christ is as close as the mention of his name. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. We learn from difficulties we face that we can turn to him and he will guide us through. It's okay to be honest with God. It's okay to tell him about how your problems make you feel, to express your sorrow, your disappointment, even your anger. 
You can trust that our Heavenly Father wants to do what is best for you and will be with you every step of the way. God can use temptation to teach us to obey him. Temptations are situations designed by Satan intended to harm us or lead us into sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it talks about it. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Christ was tempted by the devil too. After Jesus was tempted, after Jesus was baptized, he went through an intense 40-day period of temptation in the desert. Matthew chapter one verse uh, four verse one it says then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Guess what? If Christ faced temptations, then you and I are going to face temptations. First, it is not a sin to be tempted. To, to be tempted, the Lord was tempted, but He never sinned. Sin is to yield to the temptation. Martin Luther said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. The Bible says, after the devil was done tempting Christ in the wilderness, he left him until an opportune time. Isn't that like the devil? Satan is looking for an opportunity to attack us. He is a master strategist waiting for the best chance to get us to fall into sin. But the Lord's experience in the wilderness shows us that every temptation gives us the opportunity to do what is right. We can choose to obey God, to do good instead of evil. And each time that we do that, each time that we overcome temptation, God allows us to have a growth spurt in Him spiritually. God can also use trespasses to teach us to forgive. Perhaps you were wondering, what in the world of trespasses? Trespasses are situations when other people have hurt us. Whether you are hurt intentionally or unintentionally by someone, that's a trespass. And the Lord wants to use these trespasses to teach us to forgive. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. The Lord was misunderstood and hurt. He was judged and abused, and yet God used the inhumanity of man to teach us how to forgive. Christ not only carried our sins to the cross, but he also prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He yielded his right to get even. He absorbed the hurt. He put up with the pain. He responded to evil with good. All of us will be hurt at some time in our lives. Let me tell you here today that this is not heaven. Just in case you're wondering where you're living at, this is not heaven. This is a fallen world. Everybody sins. You hurt other people. Other people hurt you. We hurt each other intentionally and unintentionally. And if we're going to become like Christ, we must learn to forgive. How can we learn to take trespasses and forgive? First of all, we need to remember that God has forgiven us. When you are hurt, rather than focusing on the person who hurt you, begin to just thank God for his forgiveness. As we are aware of God's forgiveness, we are then in a better position to forgive others. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. 
Also, when others trespass against us, remember that God is still in control. He's still at work. While those who hurt you may mean it for evil, God will use it for good in your life. God works all things for the good. Remember Joseph, betrayed by his own brother, sold into slavery to cover up the sin against their brother. They told their father they found Joseph's coat torn and bloody. He must have been eaten by a wild animal. And you thought that you came from a dysfunctional family. And yet God had a plan in it all. And when it was all said and done, some 30 years later, Joseph, he understood God's plan. He told his brothers, you intended to harm me. This is Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God can transform a situation. He can transform hurts in a relationship into good. Our everlasting Father is still in control. You may not see what He is doing yet, but just trust Him. God will accomplish His purposes even through the hurt other people can cause in our lives. And as I come to a close here tonight, why don't we all stand one last time. Maybe you have started a mental journal and you return to it every time you mess up. It's a journal filled with X's, reminding you of all the times that you tried to be like Christ and weren't. Let me tell you here tonight, let me just encourage you, God's not finished with you yet. My wife told my daughter that it took a long time for her to be like who she was today, and you've got a lot of growing left to do. Let me tell you tonight that the Lord will not leave the work that he has started in you unfinished. He will complete it. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, it says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to keep on working in each and every one of us until he comes back. Amen. And while you are trying to get your head around how Christ is going to use you, you have been asking yourself, what on earth am I here for? God's purpose for your life is to make you like Him. That's what you are here for. So stop taking record of everything that you've done wrong and praise Him for everything that He is doing right in you. Amen. God's doing a work in each and every one of us here tonight. And His desire for us is just simply to follow him. When our perspective gets messed up, when we start looking at the world and think, oh my goodness, we're in a mess. What are we going to do? How is God going to? All we've got to do is just follow him. Follow him. He's going to see us through it all. No matter what may come, troubles, tribulations, trespasses, no matter what we may face, We've got him on our side. Our heavenly father is right beside us. And he's not looking at that page full of X's that we've kept, kept record of and said, look at all the times that I haven't been like you. He just keeps on working on us. Amen. Amen. And here tonight, we're going to pray together. Amen. Right where you are, we're going to begin to worship the Lord. Allow him to just work on our heart one more time. I was talking to Brother Hanscom right before the service, and he caught me going through this sermon for the 15th time. 
uh, right before the service. I wanted to make sure that I was through it. And of course, I always live through my sermons before I deliver them. And so I was praying, God, work on my heart. And I'm my own worst critic. I beat up myself more than anybody else would. And we can do that to ourselves. But I'm reminded that we serve a great God. We serve a great God. Amen. And he wants to work on our lives here tonight if we will allow him to. If we will just drop everything and follow him. Amen. So let's just lift up our hands right now. Lift up our voices together. God, we praise you here tonight. Lord, and you've been in a vein today. God, you spoke to us here this morning with Brother Thornton preaching the word of the Lord, and we thank you for that, Lord. God, and here we are again tonight, Jesus, you chipping away and working at our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would work on us here tonight. God, and I pray, Lord, that you would be an encouragement to those, Lord, who have felt like they've fallen, like they've faltered, like they've failed you so many times. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would work in us, that you would show us, Jesus, that, Lord, that you are working even right now. Have your way in us. Hallelujah, Lord. God, and I pray, Lord, that you would use everything in our life, all things for your good, to bring honor and glory and worship to who you are. You are almighty. You are awesome. You are holy. God, you are worthy. There is nobody like you. Hallelujah, Jesus. We praise your great name here today, Lord. We offer our lives as a living sacrifice before you. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Use us for your kingdom. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' great name we pray. Hallelujah, Lord. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you so much for coming out to the house of the Lord here tonight. And uh, continue to keep those special prayer requests in your prayers throughout the, this week. Pray for Pastor. Amen. And uh, we will see you on Wednesday. We'll keep you up to date with all the latest news and whatnot as it goes forward. And we just thank you once again for being such an incredible church. You really are. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. And we will see you on Wednesday. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.